0: Uh, Now, last week I gave a long introduction. I'm not going to do that this week. I'm going to get right to the text because we have a very important topic to talk about that's found here in our text. Uh, If you are visiting, I will say this. We've been looking at the book of Mark for the last year. We've been looking at the first part of Mark, which is the person of Christ. Who is he? If he's God, it has everything to do with all of us, which is very clear in all Gospels and the Scriptures. Jesus Christ is incarnate God. But where we come to in chapter 14 and where we are now is we're starting to look at the work of Christ. We need more than Jesus to be our our God. We need him to be our Savior, and therefore he is a human being, fully human and fully God. Last week we looked at kind of an interlude. We looked at the woman who broke the ointment at Jesus' feet and worshipped him. And then we saw uh, Judas' response to that. And uh, and we're going to look at that a little bit more today. So, if you would, turn to our uh, text today. It's in Mark chapter 14. We believe this is the inerrant word of God. That's why we print it every week for you. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar, jar of water will be meeting you. And follow him, and whatever, where, what, wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening he came with the twelve and as they were reclining at table and eating Jesus said, truly I say to you one of you will betray me who is eating with me. And they began to be sorrowful and say to him one after the other is it I? And he said to them it is one of the twelve one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Word. We pray that you would help us understand Our text today, we pray for your Holy Spirit to work in us to understand, to change our hearts, to soften our hearts so that we might respond honestly, Lord, is it it I? And so Lord, we thank you for the grace that we find in the gospel. And we pray that that grace would be evident as we preach your word today. And we ask it in your name and for your sake. Amen. You remember a few years ago we uh, we studied the book of Romans and uh, if you don't know much about the book of Romans uh, Martin Luther said without the book of Romans the whole Bible would fall apart. It is the knot in the bow that God called Paul to write the book of Romans as an apologetic for the Christian faith. While we believe that Christianity far bit that it's narrow, it's extensive. It's for the nations. It's for you today, but Christ is that way. He, he just lays it out very clearly. And of course, one of the ways that we know that uh, it's not just a theological book, but it's, it's, a, it's a theology book that leads to mission. For Paul says at the end of the book that I'm on my way to Spain to preach the gospel. He wasn't a hyper-Calvinist. But there was a question that was raised that I think has something to do with their text. And it was raised by the Jews. Well, if we have been God's people for two thousand years, almost two thousand years, and now the gospel is for the nation, what has happened to the Jews? And so Paul explains that in Romans 9, a chapter that talks about Jacob and Esau, right? It's a chapter that many ministers will not preach on. Because what Paul is saying is that that God is, is absolutely involved still with the life of God's people. But Jews like Gentiles now will become part of the new Israel through Jesus Christ. And so he talks about Jacob I chose but Esau I didn't yet before they were born. God's sovereign purposes. So here's what Paul was willing to do that we have to look at today. He was willing to raise the question that we've all asked especially if your circumstances have been tough. And maybe they are this morning. If God is sovereign do we have freedom? Or to put it another another way, a question that that we've asked is is how can God be free and man free at the same time? If we're not free are we On the other hand, if God is not absolutely sovereign, then is he really God? Now, if you've never asked that question, then you're just young, okay? You know, a lot of the Foxhole conversions that when life really presses against you, maybe it's the loss of a loved one or loss of a, of a, of a girlfriend or boyfriend or a loss of a marriage, loss of your money, loss of your income. For some of you who are sitting here that might be my age, it's the loss of your hopes and dreams, the way you thought that things uh, would turn out, but they didn't. Now, the, you, you remember what we said when we were looking at Romans 9 is we, it, we use this word that theologians talk about called an antinomy and and here's what an antinomy is and again I'm not trying to be intellectual I I really I'm not trying to be intellectual but hey it's just a word that explains something okay so let me explain it On, on the one hand an antinomy is this when something explained by itself makes absolute sense so the fact of the matter is we know that we're not robots nobody twisted your arm made you come here unless it was your spouse but for the most part, you're here because you want to be here. And if you go, uh, if you like Mexican food, you'll probably go eat Mexican. Probably if you grew up Italian, I made an Italian this morning. Uh, he might go home to eat lasagna. Of course, I know we live in a culture It's like, well, that's kind of, we shouldn't be saying that. But, hey, I like grits, okay? <laughs> and I'm okay with that. Nobody forces me to eat grits. If you're from somewhere else... Above the Mason-Dix line, you might put a little sugar on there, and we go. (laughs) So so on the one hand, right, we know that we have freedom. There is liberty, or else we're robots. Which, by the way, other explanations, I'm telling you make you a robot. It's either by the fates or the gods, and things are set in their course, and you have no liberty whatsoever. Or it is the fact that you have, the reason you're here today is because you have the religious gene that you inherited through the process of evolution. No, seriously. But but you see, you're not really making real choices that are there. And yet the Bible teaches that human beings are responsible. You're responsible for what you did this week. Matter of fact, I want to tell you how responsible you are. You will have to give an account for what you did this week. Or else Jesus will give an account for you. So we all agree with that. But on the other hand, we know this. that the, the other rope that we hang on to is the fact that the Bible teaches that God is absolutely sovereign. He is the king of the universe who according to our Westminster Confession and according to a lot of Bible verses that he governs all his creatures and all their actions from the greatest to the least. Because let's face it, if God is not sovereign, let's go play golf. Or if you like to do something other than that. But there's no point to be here in worship and adoration of a God who is either uh, not willing or able. Now here's the problem. You grab both those ropes at the same time. They go up through the bell tower. They go through the, the, through the ceiling and we don't know how they connect, but they connect. So, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you what I believe the Bible teaches, and as a minister of the gospel, is that the reason that you're here today is because God brought you here. And at the same time, I certainly believe this, that God expects you to respond. And that is exactly what's going on in our text. Right, because when I'm reading about Judas Iscariot, and you're hearing about Jesus saying... Uh, it'd be better for this man not to have been born. The question ends up being, well, did he have a choice? Well, the Bible's very clear in Acts that Christ coming and dying. Uh, even though man's making all the plans, God is working all the details out because they ultimately his plans and his purpose. So how do these things fit together? So here, here's, here's what I would, would like to get across to you this morning. And that is this, until we have a proper understanding of God's sovereign purpose, we will never have freedom as human beings. Man, I make so many mistakes. You, do you make mistakes? Anybody here not made a mistake this week? If you don't think you have, I'd hate to live with you. Anybody, any of you, any men or women made financial mistakes? Made bad decisions? Have you any of y'all said things that you shouldn't have said and you went, oh my gosh, that just came out of my mouth. And now I'm going to have to deal with this for six months. right, seriously. But isn't it good to know that in some ways that God is sovereign over these things? Do I truly have liberty and freedom? And if I do, am I submitting my life to the sovereign king? Or... Or for you this morning who've really screwed your life up. You really screwed up this week. And that in all the, my freedom to say what I want to say and do what I want to do, the far bit that it's leading you to freedom it is leading you to bondage and misery. Is that a legitimate question to ask this morning? Well, here's what I want us to look at. Number one, let me tell you, our text is going to teach us that God is absolutely sovereign in the affairs of men. Absolutely sovereign in the affairs of men. I like, it was really great being able to quote Benjamin Franklin on the front row. I'm mean out on the front page. You know, because he said, you know, after all my smarts, I realize that God governs the affairs of men. And then I want us to see that man's true freedom or liberty is in the context of a sovereign God. Man, yeah. And when I was a kid growing up and I saw the preacher preaching at the the big church at First Pres in Greenville, South Carolina, I thought, I would never do that. I I need to know that he's sovereign. And that that, yes, okay, we get up and we do things. Are you ever afraid to do things? Let me ask you, are you ever afraid? And so you don't do anything? You know, you're in bondage. But if you believe that God is sovereign, he's sovereign to allow you to fail. There are a lot of perfectionists that are here this morning. And you're trying to get your weight right and your marriage right and this right and that right. And you're, all, you're, never, you're upset with their body and yourself because you know what? You can't get it right, can you? And then lastly, I want us to see this. That Jesus freely submits to God's plan because God is not only sovereign but a loving sovereign. Wow. So here's the first thing to see. Is that he's sovereign over the affairs of men. Kind of didn't you see that in the text? I mean, beginning in verse 12, it's, it's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's the Passover. And so he takes two of his disciples. You learn in Luke that it's Peter and John. And, uh, and he says, listen, uh, I want you to go out. You're going to find a guy carrying some water. And when you do, I don't know if it's a range meeting or not, but when you do, um, just follow him. And when you do, you're going you're gonna to find a house and talk to the master, and, and everything will be prepared, everything will be up there waiting on you. And you know what our text says? It was exactly as he said. Now, can you all see that in the text? Now, let me tell you, how significant I think this is. This is two holidays. We call them holidays, like Thanksgiving and Christmas, back to back. But this is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That a lot of commentators debate on when it happens, but they think that it happens on the day of Passover. That's the other one. That's the other one. Now, Passover was only one day, kind of like Thanksgiving. But Passover and and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now. Uh, what is the Feast of Unleavened Bread? Well, both of them are going all the way back to the Exodus. The Feast of the Unleavened Bread was, God's going to re- redeem you tonight through the Passover lamb. That's the Passover, through the blood of the lamb that shed. Because God's bringing judgment, not only upon Egypt, but anybody that's my people who do not listen to my word. And and the only way the oldest child, the son, the oldest son will be spared is through the shedding of the blood on the doorpost. It's so whoever was... Inside the house when the death angel came, if they were under the blood, they were spared. And so you have, you have the Passover. But, but the reason they had unleavened bread was because leavened bread, and I, and I don't know much about baking, but you know, you put the yeast in it. You know what yeast is? Nasty stuff, apparently. It, it's stuff that ferments, right? It's dying stuff. You got to sit there and wait for it a while, and then it. And it it rises, and when it all gets risen, you know, I guess if you do it too quick, uh, the, you know, it, the cake folds or whatever. And it's like, oh, that's a flat cake. You didn't wait. But you see, uh, they said no leaven. Matter of fact, uh, we'll talk about this later next week. But they, they got rid of all the yeast. They had this, this period where they got rid of all yeast, all corruption. It all had to be gone. But you could never get rid of the yeast. But we'll save that for next week. So... So, uh, so they were to make bread without yeast, flour and sugar. Boom, we're gone. You know why? Because after the deliverance, I mean, after the redemption was deliverance. And it's time to go. All right, so why do you bring all this up? Well, most people think that there might have been thirty to 50,000 people in Jerusalem. Normally. But because you could only celebrate true Passover within the walls of Jerusalem, it tended to blow up. And they think that there were maybe 200,000 people, 150,000, 100,000 people. Okay, now, what that reminds me of is, uh, like, if you're a graduate student from Idaho, and your mom and dad decide they want to come and visit you this fall. And they just figure they're going to get a hotel room. And they come on LSU weekend. Then there's, they're not going to find a hotel room. You ever been to some place and you found out it was the Jazz Convention or the Masons? And you can't find a room? You thought, but surely I can get a room in Anderson, South Carolina. It's the National Hejazz and what uh, is that right, Hejaz? But anyhow, so, so here they are. Now imagine, how many hotels do you think there were in Jerusalem? Oh, and by the way, I'll have a banquet hall on top of it. And of course, uh, the disciples, were, were, they're kind of asking the question, oh, you know, we've been so busy raising Lazarus from the dead, and well, not us, but Jesus, that we didn't have time to make reservations. What, what, what are we going to do? And he says, i would go out there and follow a guy with a uh, jug of water. Like, jug, men don't carry water. They carried the wine, but not the water. We do you mean? go, Just going out there would be a couple hundred thousand people. You finally got out of the jug of water and you you take off. And, And of course, you know what the text says? It was exactly what Jesus said. Now, why was it exactly as Jesus said? Because, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you right now, and something you need to ponder and we need to think about is Jesus Christ is God Almighty. He is your God, He knows what's going on in your life. He knows who's carrying water jugs among 200,000 people and where there's a room that 12 disciples can go and banquet and have the last supper. So it's very clear that our text teaches that our Lord Jesus Christ is sovereign. Now, Albert Schweitzer, who was a theologian of another bent, in other words, was, uh, what's a good word to use? He didn't believe the Bible a whole lot. And the way he saw Jesus is a type of Gandhi. I mean, he didn't know Gandhi. He was before Gandhi. He was the missionary, doctor missionary, you know, back at the turn of the century. But he was, a, can I use the word liberal? He didn't believe the Bible. And so he wrote a book called In Quest of the Historical Jesus. And uh, here's the way he looks at the last events of Christ's life. He said, The Baptist appears and cries, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Soon after that comes Jesus and in the knowledge that he is the coming son of man lays hold of the will of the world to set it moving on that last revolution which is to bring all ordinary history to a close. In other words, Jesus sees himself as this good man, this great teacher He's going to bring the revolution to the next stage. And then it does turn Oh, I'm sorry. It, it refuses to turn, and he throws himself upon it to turn it, but it does turn, and it crushes him. And instead of bringing in the kingdom, he was destroyed. The wheel rose onward, and the mangled body of the one immeasurably great man, who is strong enough to think of himself as the spiritual ruler of mankind, and to bend history to his purpose, is hanging upon it still. What a sack. What a sad sad thing to think. Jesus Christ was just, he's still being mangled. He died way back yonder, just like Gandhi did in 1950 or 60. Good man, but misguided. Do you think Jesus Christ sees himself that way? Even though he is going to do the Father's will for you this morning who would come to faith in Jesus Christ, He is in absolute control, even though he is completely throwing himself upon his father. Now, I'm going to ask him, do you believe that? So God is sovereign, you see, over all the details that are there. You know, uh, (laughs) I I have a lot of interesting stories of things that I've goofed up that God kind of overcame. And, I, and I, ha, I have to get this in the sermon because it's a great story. When I first came here, I was just had finished being a chaplain, I mean, a, a campus minister at another university. I was a Ruf guy, and I was going to do a prominent wedding in Memphis. And so, of course, if you're doing a prominent wedding, you make sure you, that you're very articulate and you get everything ready. and You wear your nice suit. You know, I'm sorry, I maybe I fell into sin there, but but you know, you obviously want to be on time, right, for the wedding. In Memphis, so I get to the airport early. I'm in the airport and uh, feel very good about myself. I'm like two hours early, and so it's Friday afternoon. Anybody ever been in the Atlanta airport trying to go somewhere on Friday afternoon? It's crazy. Well, uh, so I'm sitting there waiting, and uh, a guy sitting next to me. uh, He had a flight that was going to Kansas City. I'll never forget. He was a vet, and so we just started talking. And, uh, and as we started talking, of course, we start talking about Jesus and what he believes. And you know, I said, I don't really know if I believe any of this stuff. And he started telling me who he thought God was. And, and of course, I asked him. I said, well, today and told, told my wife, uh, I met this vet from, uh, from Kansas City. And she says, really, what's he like? And I said, well, he's a great big old fat guy. And, and uh, he, you know, he couldn't string two sentences together and fell out of medical school. You know, he said, wait a minute, you can't do that. And I said, well, why do you, obviously you can't do that to God. You let, have to let God be who he is. And so in we, we start getting engaged. And, and I, he didn't profess Christ to him. I believe I'll see him in heaven one day. But all of a sudden, the wheels start turning. We're talking. His flight's delayed, but mine wasn't. <laughs> I said, hey, what time is it? And he said, well, so-and-so. And all of a sudden, it's, it's a half hour after my flight left so here it is uh, you know the, the afternoon and Friday afternoon and so I go to the lady and, and of course by this time I have to be honest with you here I'm a minister of the gospel right and I'm, I'm basically maybe cursing is too harsh a word but you know I'm kind of going what? I'm sharing you with him why did you let me be late? And, and of course God first thing like because you're stupid <laughs> what do you mean you got to watch you got them all over here and you're supposed to be on time and so I run up to the lady and I say hey is there any way I can get on this 3 o'clock flight I've already missed my 1 o'clock I've got to be in Memphis at 5 o'clock for a wedding rehearsal at the 2nd Presbyterian Church of Memphis (laughs) if anybody knows anything about Memphis you know what I'm talking about You're, you're not late for that So, and of course she all but laughed at me Like, well there's like 40 people in line waiting so of course it's my own pride right It's like, well, I want to be the guy that said, you know. And so I'm just so mad. And in the middle of literally just going, "Ah, you ever done that? I said, "Whoa, wait a minute. I said, Lord, forgive me. If you don't want me on that flight, I guess you don't want me on that flight. Unless I got to talk to him about Jesus. Of course, God's like, well, now you're getting it squared away. And I said, but Lord, I got to get on that flight. And the flight's loading. And all of a sudden, this is the truth. There's a thousand people in that terminal. I'll say here's a guy say, hey, how? This is a guy named Richard Vice, who became a Christian in my ministry at Vanderbilt. Who who was a RUF guy for a long time at Auburn's planting a new church. He came to Christ, a 4 0 student, smart guy. And uh, this is on tape, Richard, so now everybody knows how smart you are. But um and, and I said, "Ray, hey, Richard, how you doing? He said, How are you doing, Hal? I said, not too good. He said, why? And I said, I gotta do a wedding. And I missed that flight. And he was coming back from his honeymoon. And he said, well, I'm on that flight. Uh, he said, uh, hey, I don't need to leave right now. Why don't you take my ticket? And that, not only that, but his wife, Amy, she starts waving at another friend of hers that she hadn't seen in five years. And that friend's on that flight. And of course, I'm still going to be late because i got to get a taxi. And I said, well, this girl... It's on that flight. This is the truth. Live next door to that church. (laughs) And uh, she says, hey, I'd be happy to give you a ride. And uh, and so I got there five till five. (laughs) Coincidence. You know, and I'm sitting there so embarrassed. Of course, I, I was like, hello everybody, I'm here, I'm ready to do it. And, uh, and pride kicked back in. And I've seen God do this over and over and over and over again. You know, if you know, if all, all this stuff is theory about Jesus and about Jesus, and, but, that's, it, it, but you never see it. You know, I've already said it's one thing to hear about the mighty acts of God, like the Red Sea and all that. And who would want to be there on the front side? But then, when you are in a situation, and God Almighty opens the Red Sea and brings deliverance, then you bow down and you see that God is absolutely sovereign. Now, so that's there in the text, and I just I have a few minutes here to look at a couple of important things, but. But notice also that human freedom is in the context of God's sovereign plan. Uh, we see this throughout the scriptures. Remember Joseph and his brothers? If you know anything about the Old Testament. Remember before they got to Egypt? God, uh, his brothers uh, were jealous of him because you know why they were jealous of him? Because he really was kind of a, uh, uh, can I use the word jerk? He, he was, he was a very... Uh, Self-righteous, and uh, I've got the coat of many colors, and you're, uh, here's my dream, you're going to worship, and not worship, me. Yeah, I'm going to rule over you. Of course, they got mad at him. What did they do? They they threw him in a pit. And so, was he freely kind of bragging about everything? Yes. Did it get him in trouble? Yes. Did his brothers do the wrong thing by throwing him in the pit? Yes. Was it evil what they did? Yes. Some of them wanted to kill him. And uh, Judah, says, hey, now nah, let's just kind of throw him in this in the hole here. And of course uh, oh, by the way, there was a caravan coming by. And the caravan takes him down to Egypt. And then guess what? Joseph rises to power. And at the end of the book, when his brothers finally find out who he is, that he's the one who's second in command, they're scared to death. And you know what Joseph said to them? Brothers, you meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. They did what they wanted to do, but they were carrying out the very purposes of God. And this is exactly what we see in our text. Because when Jesus says, he seated with them, seated with them, he says, listen, one of you is going to betray me. And, and you know what they all said? Hey, is it I? You know, at least, I, I, but I don't think Judas did. So at least these men were willing to admit that maybe I could still do this. Can you do that? Are you one who would be going, God, I know you're sovereign, and Lord, I need your mercy and your grace, but if I'm left to myself, I will screw up my wife, my children, my husband, everything. Is it I? But you know what? Judas, we find out the reason that he hardened his heart was because in what hardened his heart? In John chapter 12, remember when the lady broke the ointment on his feet? Mary, he's counting the numbers. Because, you see, the text tells us there that he, he, was the, he kept the money. And it tells us that he was a thief. And he was stealing from the kitty. And you go, oh my goodness, how can he do such a thing? I'll tell you why. Because he loved money. And God let him go. Now let me say this before I come to my last point. You see, Judas was with Jesus for three years. He saw what Christ did. He saw all these things. And you're out there, and I would be out there saying, man, what, what does this guy not understand? Well, I tell you, he loved what he wanted more than loving what God wanted. And let this be a warning that you can go to church all you want to. You can go to church. You can hear great reformed sermons and preaching. You can do this. You go to youth group and all these things. But if you do not submit yourself to the Almighty Sovereign God, the lover of your soul, you'll be a hardened as Judas Iscariot. And you know why you'll be hardened? Because you'll want to be. You know why you want to be? Because you want to run your life. Matter of fact, the love of money is the root of all evil. That's why most of us go to college, so we can have a lot of money. You know why you want to have a lot of money? There's nothing wrong with having a lot of money. Trust me. Matter of fact, you go to James, and all James says is, hey, if God has blessed you with money, make sure you're generous. He doesn't say everybody's got to give their money away. No, there's nothing wrong with it unless you love it. And it controls you. Or your anorexia controls you. Your desire to look beautiful controls you. But you're never pretty enough. You're never smart enough and you macho men that are out there that want to be in control, you ain't in control. Because you know what? You can never be as in control as the other guys got more money and smarter than you are. So, God's sovereign, but we're doing exactly what is in the design of God, okay? That's very clear in the Scriptures. But the last thing is to see, and I do have to close on this because we need to come to the Lord's table. But I want you to see Jesus' response to the sovereignty of his Father. Notice what our text says. Our text very clearly says this. Verse, uh, verse 21. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had been not been born. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of Him. He's in absolute control. He's the living God. But now in His humanity, He is submitting. Why? Because He loves us. Absolutely He loves us. But let me tell you why. Ultimately, He submitted. And He poured out a whole lot more than anointment. He poured out His blood because He loved the Father. He knew that Almighty God was absolutely sovereign. He knew he would be cursed of God. But he knew that God would ultimately not forsake him. And therefore he gave his life. You know that great hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing? Uh, Mild he lays his glory by, born that we may no more die. Born to raise us from the earth. Born to give us second birth. He came for us. Because he loved us and he loved the Father and he knew the Father was good. I want want, want to close by asking you this. Are you you Judas? Am I Judas? Or are we Mary who breaks the ointment? I know lots of people who are Judases that know lots and stuff, but they love no one. They, they're not, they're the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, pity, it's not there. Why is it not there? You know what? Because Judas, not only, he knew more than any of us, and he saw a whole lot more. But he never saw the beauty of Christ. And what did Mary do? She breaks the only, but why? Because of just who he is. You see, if God is useful to you, you're a religious person. The only reason you believe is because, oh, this is going to go great. But as soon as your grades go bad, or as soon as you lose the boyfriend, or as soon as you lose your fortune, then all of a sudden you go, I betray you. But you see, Mary gave herself because she understood that Jesus Christ would give more than a year's wage. He set eternity aside. You understand? To take upon human nature to be your substitute, to be my substitute. And you're immediately you're saying, well, what about all those people who've never heard? Well, if you want to talk about that, I would, I'll buy your lunch. And we'll talk about that. But let us see Jesus Christ understanding himself that he's your only hope. And until you see that, you're just going to be mean, harsh, negative, A religious person. One who hangs around Jesus with a lot of Christians, but you don't know Jesus. You've never seen him. Jesus is beautiful. God's absolutely sovereign, and because of that, we have absolute liberty and freedom in Jesus Christ. Do you know that freedom? Then would you submit your life this morning to a sovereign God? Submit all or else you're going to be bitter and angry the rest of your life. You're going to be a religious person. You're going to know a lot of stuff, but there's going to be no joy. Let's pray together. Lord God Almighty, I pray for the work of your Holy Spirit to convert people this morning. That you came into this world, born that we may no more die, born to raise us from the earth, born to give a second birth. We must be born again. So, God, would you convert men and women this morning? Bring them to the beauty of Jesus. Lord Jesus, they can't convert themselves. You must reveal the beauty of who you are. Would you do that this morning? We love you, Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Those serving communion, we come forward.